and that we will come to know you in ways that we do not know you. That we will have our hearts and our minds and our spirits, our inner being, shaped and formed by the love and power of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this letter uh, that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, and it still speaks to us today. And we ask God again that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning all that you want us to see and hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. One of the first things that you notice from the beginning of this, this prayer, this power-packed prayer, is how casually Paul mentions his posture. Maybe you didn't notice it because it just kind of went by quickly, but he almost mentions his posture like it's normal. For this reason I kneel before the Father. There are a lot of, of postures mentioned in Scripture, how we position our bodies in prayer. A few examples in the New Testament. In Matthew 26, we see an example of falling with face to the ground. In Luke 10, covering yourself and repenting in sackcloth and ashes. In Luke 18, in two different places, examples of someone standing, one standing and kind of beating his chest and pride, one standing not willing to look up to heaven, uh, looking down. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul calling on Timothy to instruct people to, as they pray, lift holy hands in prayer. A lot of different kinds of posture. But here, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. And when you look at that list, you kind of get this sense that standing actually may seem to be uh, maybe kind of in a common posture almost. But I think that the bigger question isn't necessarily, and I don't want to get hung up on kind of what, how are we supposed to position our bodies in prayer, but maybe more what does our posture communicate in prayer? What does posture mean when it comes to prayer? I want you just to think about the, the posture that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 3 in, in this prayer. He's praying, he's writing from you know, a prison cell somewhere, and he's, he's saying to this church in Ephesus that he is kneeling. And like I said, it, it almost comes across like it's just kind of normal, like it's just casually mentioned, right? And you wonder if, if that triggered any kind of thing, or if that was also normal to these Christians 
in Ephesus. So I want us to think together for just a minute about the posture of kneeling. The physical act of bowing your, your, on, on your knees is an act of reverence, an act of respect. When you see someone do that, you, you think that they're communicating, right? That they're physically placing their body at a lower position than the person that they're in the presence of. It's also an act, I think, of, if you think about it like this, it's an act of sort of voluntary, willingly. I mean, you could be made to get on your knees, I guess, but in prayer, it's, it's, you're choosing a defenseless position, right? When you pray on your knees, it's hard to run from God. When you're praying on your knees, it's hard to, to it's almost like an act of surrendering to the person that you're in the presence of, that you're communicating you're, you're in the presence of. Bent over in, in body is a posture that, that conveys, that communicates humility. It's a posture that says, think, if you think about it like this, it's a posture that says you're wanting to physically communicate with your actual body that you believe in prayer that God is bigger, God is more powerful, God is more capable, God is more glorious than you are. And I don't think Paul is saying, again, that we have to kneel. I don't hear a command in this prayer. But I hear a specific example that he's giving, and even if he doesn't realize that he's giving it at that time, where he's conveying, he's conveying that this is how he's prayed, apparently. And it struck me as I thought about this, because a lot of times, and we're going to talk about the last part of this prayer, but whenever we've, many of us have heard this prayer preached on, we probably have heard a lot about the last couple of verses. Now to him who's able to do more than we could ask or imagine, right? And, and, and I think we kind of rush past some of these early words to kind of get to that really incredible part of this prayer. But it's significant to me that Paul identifies his posture. And here he is, even though it's maybe not, he's not saying, you know, we have to kneel. I think it at least raises the question about whether or not our posture matters. And so here Paul is on his knees praying before the Father. And this prayer is not just a prayer for the Ephesians. It's a prayer for Kaufman Church of Christ, too. It's a prayer for Christians everywhere. And so I actually entitled this sermon, A Prayer for KCOC. Some of your Bibles might even have the heading above this prayer, A Prayer for the Ephesians. And I don't want us to get lost in the details of the prayer and think that, you know, we can tend to think well, this is mostly a prayer Paul is praying for them. I think we hear the application of it as we pray it, as we read it for us as well. Paul prays that out of the bank account of God's riches, out of his glorious riches, he says, that God will strengthen you, that God will strengthen us, and that God will strengthen us with power, and that God will strengthen us with power through the Spirit, and that God will strengthen us with power through the Spirit in our inner being. And that's the part I want to focus on for just a minute. That phrase, inner being, literally means like inner man. The King James Version, the Revised Standard Version, if you're reading that version, actually translated inner man. And so it might read this way. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner man. Your inner person. Right? There's something I want to just think about for a second about that phrase. Inner person, inner man, inner being. There's something that's in us as a follower of Jesus that's like an inner person, Paul says, 
that, that God intends to strengthen. And that inner person is Jesus, I think, right? That lives in us through the Spirit of God, lives in us. But notice what Jesus is. Jesus is this, is this inner being. Jesus is the source of your strength. He is the source of your power. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 17 actually describes or explains verse 16. Christ is dwelling in your hearts and as Christ dwells in your hearts, you become strengthened with power through the spirit, the presence of God that is at work in you. And here is why that is good news. If Jesus is the source of your strength, you are not the source of your strength. And if Jesus is the source of your power, you are not the source of your power. The word riches in verse 16 is a word that Paul uses a lot in this letter. I actually explained a few weeks ago in an earlier place in this letter that this word riches actually means like wealth. So God's supply of strength isn't going to run out. You aren't the source of your strength. You aren't the source of your power. Because if you or I were the source of our strength or our power, we would eventually become depleted. Amen? Like we, we can only do so much to, to muster enough strength or to muster enough power to keep ourselves in this spiritual life that we're trying to live. But G, Paul says, Jesus, you aren't the source of strength or power. Jesus is. And God's supply of strength, God's supply of power, His glorious riches, as it says in the NIV that I read from, is not going to be exhausted. God's supply of power that is available to those that believe through the Spirit isn't going to run out, which might be a word that somebody here this morning needs to hear. There, what we also need to know about this prayer and this, this, this strength, this is not just the only thing that Paul talks about, right? I, I don't want to just talk to, I want, I want, I'm not talking this morning just to those in the room that might consider yourself to be dealing with something quote unquote big in life. I, I, think that, I think sometimes we think, well, okay, well, Jesus is the source of my strength and my power. Well, you know, whenever I get to something hard, I'll remember that. You know, this is probably somebody else's sermon today. I'm not just talking to people who are in the moment going through something challenging. What I want all of us to remember, and, and, and really I think Paul is praying for all people in the moments of struggle and the moments of peace in our lives, that Jesus is an active part of our life. And it's what Paul calls our inner being. And on the days that you feel tired, on the days you feel overwhelmed, on the days you're ready to throw in the towel... On the days you're ready to give up on yourself, you're ready to give up on others, you're ready to give up on God. Jesus is at work, Paul says, in your inner being. Because you are the source of your strength and power. And Jesus is, as Jesus is at work in your inner being, He is able to provide you strength and power that you can't provide on your own. The Spirit of the living God is doing that for you. And the question I want us to consider this morning is, do we believe this, really believe this? That Christ in your inner being means that you're not alone when you're afraid, when you feel alone. 
You're not alone when you're anxious. You're not alone when you're wide awake at night. You're not even alone in prayer. Other places in Scripture we know that Jesus intercedes for us, right? Paul talks about this idea of Jesus dwelling in us that he mentions in this prayer in chapter 2. But interestingly enough, in chapter 2, Paul is talking about it in reference to the church. Quickly, I'll just remind you, it's probably on your, if you, if you have your Bible, it's probably there. But in Ephesians chapter 2, 22, Paul says, And in him, Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Here, Paul is talking about the work of the Spirit in the church. But here in this prayer, Paul is talking about the work of the Spirit in you and in me. So what Paul is saying is that what is true about the church is also true of individual believers. The Spirit of God is dwelling among us, and the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And that Jesus does this through faith, Paul says. I want us to notice, though, for, for, our, for our own you know, benefit, maybe application, that when we pray often, our prayers, not always, but tend to center on our condition, right? We pray for those that are grieving. We pray for health and sickness. We pray for wisdom for uh, political leaders. We pray for wisdom for decisions in our own lives. We pray for clarity and direction. Yeah in decisions that we're making. We pray for world peace. We pray for the hungry. We pray for the homeless. We pray for the lost. We, we, we pray, you know, these, these things are kind of our, our, the condition of our world, the condition of our lives, even maybe more specifically. And some of those things that I mentioned, we don't pray about as often as some other of those things that I mentioned, right? It doesn't take long for us to look around a room like this, look around our church, and to see and to know the needs in this room alone. Prayers for our kids, for our grandkids, for health, for healing, for transitions, for marriages, for grief, for loneliness, for pain. And I want to say this morning that these prayers deserve our attention and they, they, they're needed. But I want to also say that in this case, Paul is interested in a different kind of prayer. This prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, the end of Ephesians chapter 3, is about God. It is not about anything other than God's love and God's power. And it's specifically about our connection to God's love and God's power. The point of Jesus dwelling in us by faith isn't just to provide strength and power. Paul says that the point of Jesus dwelling in us by faith is that we will know Jesus and Jesus' love in a way that we have never known it before. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever had anybody pray that prayer for me other than Paul, right? And I, I pray that Doug will know Jesus more, and that Doug will know Jesus' love more, right? I've had people pray for health and for decisions, and, but this is an altogether different kind of prayer that you feel as you just kind of read it. And Paul, kneeling before God, prays that we will not only know Jesus and Jesus' love in a way we've never known it before, but, God, but Paul prays that we will be able to grasp how wide and high and long and deep this love of Christ is. And that we'll know this love in our hearts. Every angle is covered in this prayer. High, wide, long, and deep. God's love is higher and wider and longer and deeper. But notice this. 
When you hear words like high and wide and long and deep, and you hear about Jesus' love that Paul wants us to know, you get the sense that it's, it, it's unattainable. It's, it's beyond our grasp, right? But notice, it is not beyond our grasp. Paul prays that we will be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That word grasp means to like seize it or to take control of it, to take hold of it. That Paul wants us to be able to grab on to this love, to attain it in our own life. It is not out of reach for us. And then you get to verse 19, and Paul says, and he prays, not only that you'll be rooted and established in love and have power with the Lord's people to grasp this high, long, wide, deep love of Christ, but that you'll also know this love that surpasses knowledge. And when you read that at first, it seems a little bit like an oxymoron, right? It, it, it's, is, is it true? Is it, is it knowable? Paul prays that we will know love, and these are my words, know love that is beyond knowing. We will know love that is beyond knowing. But that is, I think, the point of this prayer. God's love is not out of reach. It is able to be grasped. And God's love is not unknown or, or unknowable. It is able to be known. And that, that love that might feel like, right? some people might say, well, you can't really know it. But Paul believes that as we're strengthened in our inner being, and that we come to know Jesus more deeply. That we will be able to know things that seem unknowable. That we will be able to grasp things that seem out of reach. That seem too high or wide or long or deep to be able to grasp. And that that's possible because we've been rooted and established in love. That we've been strengthened by the Spirit of God in our inner person. This prayer isn't really about baptism, and I'm not interested in making it about baptism, but I, I do want to at least acknowledge that I think this is the reason that the Christian practice of baptism is, is held onto and is practiced, and it's something we believe deeply in, right? We believe baptism to be this symbolic, significant moment where sins are washed away, and we believe that baptism is when the Spirit of God begins to dwell in your inner person. And that all of this matters because... Follow me for just a second. If God is dwelling in your inner being, you can know things that are beyond knowing. If God is dwelling in your inner being, you can know things that are beyond knowing. And you can grasp things that appear to be beyond, be beyond your grasp. If God is dwelling in your inner being, you can know things that appear to be unknowable. And you can grasp things that appear to be beyond your grasp. That's good news, right? And, and again... I think that some of us would say, well, you know, maybe the, the risk of talking about baptism is that I think many of us, when we talk about baptism, think, well, I've been, if you've been baptized, I don't need to hear that part, right? I've been baptized. So I would say this prayer is also for those of us who have already been filled with the Spirit of God through our, and surrendered our lives to Christ through baptism. And I think what this prayer does for those of us who have already surrendered our lives to Jesus is I think it challenges our picture of Jesus. Right? This prayer is the application of the sermon, if you are willing. Paul does not imagine. I, you can't read this prayer and imagine some small Jesus 
tucked away in your pocket that you pull out and consult every once in a while, that you visit with on Sundays. Paul imagines a Jesus, right, that is bigger than a Jesus that we just ask for help from when we're in trouble. This prayer assumes that Jesus is an all-consuming presence in your life. This prayer assumes that Jesus is the one, more than anything else, that shapes and strengthens you and me. This prayer assumes that Jesus is, Jesus' zip code is your body and my body because he has taken residence in you and in me. And that is a different picture of Jesus than I think many Christians hold on to. This prayer is on your knees begging, right? If you're, somebody's on their knees, they're begging. They're pleading, surrendered to God. God, we want to know you. God, we want to know what is unknowable. God, we want to understand the grasp, the height and depth and length and width of your love that feels so much bigger than we can wrap our minds around. And the fact is that I know many of, many of us, though we have surrendered our lives to Jesus in baptism already, we don't always live like we're filled with the Spirit of God that is able to help us know God in this way and to grasp God's love in this way. Paul wants this prayer to be answered because he believes that God's love has the ability to fill Christians in Ephesus and Christians in Kaufman County in 2018 completely. More than any job, more than any relationship, more than any you know, amount of money in our bank account, more than anything we would pursue in this life, you know, acclaim or accomplishment or anything else that we think fills us and then we get to it and realize, oh, that didn't fulfill me like I thought it was going to, right? But Paul wants us to know before we pursue all of that that it's not going to, ultimately it's not going to fill you. Do that stuff. Make a difference in the world. But know that Jesus is the one that is going to fill you. More than your job will fill you. More than your hobby will fill you. More than a vacation will fill you. More than your kids will fill you. More than another person will fill you. God wants, Paul wants God to fill us full. And that's what we take from this prayer. No one could have ever dreamed of God being as good as God is. And in this letter alone, Paul has told us time and time again in the first seven weeks of our study that not only is God for you as a Gentile, right? We talked about two weeks ago. You used to be outside of the family of God, but now you're a sharer. You're, a, you're an heir. You're a member of God's family. Not only has God told you, Paul told you that God is for you, Though you were once outside of the family line, but now Paul is telling us that God is able to be known by you. You and I can know God in a way that is beyond our imagination. That is more than we could ask or imagine. And I'm, I'm not saying that Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 might not also apply to things we make them apply to, Right? Many of us have seen Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, out of Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. We, we've, we've heard that verse kind of slapped on things 
to help us kind of dream big and accomplish great things in life. And I'm not saying that that might not also be a way to read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote it, though. I think what, I, I think what Paul thought about is he wrote this prayer to this church that he loved. And he wants these Christians to grow up and to mature in Christ. He wants them to know, yeah, God's love seems, you know, out of your reach. Too high and long and wide and deep, but it's not. You can grasp it. And God's love seems unknowable, but it isn't. It's knowable, and God is able to be known by you. And I think when you think about those words in the context of what Paul is wanting for this church, I think you read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 differently. Because you go, maybe I've been thinking about my relationship with God in a smaller way than I should. Right? Maybe God is able to be known more intimately and more deeply than I've actually known him before. And then you go, well, how, how do I get there? I don't know. What, what's the first step that I take? And Paul says, man, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power, in case you forgot, that is at work within us. He says it again. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. No one could have ever dreamed of God being as good as God is. And in this letter, again, alone, Paul reminds us that we can grasp this, and that we can know this love that surpasses things that you can know, and that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen with a snap of a finger. It's a process. We're all on a journey toward depth and, and greater maturity in our faith in Jesus, but we aren't there yet, church, and we are not there yet as individuals. And the encouragement today, I think, from this prayer is to remember that God is not through with you yet. And that, that God wants to be known by you. And that God's love is within your reach. And I think when we begin to grasp that and wrap our minds around that, then we begin to understand and I think we respond again to him who is able to do. What else, where else do we go, God? What else do we, what steps can we take except surrender to you and say, we don't know where to go first. We're going to go back to you and say, we believe you can do more than we can ask or imagine because it still sometimes feels like it's out of our reach. It's unknowable. And so we're going to surrender to you and trust that you can do, you can, you can bridge the gap where we feel like we fall short because we're working with our own strength and our own power. So fill us in our inner person and continue to do your work in us. This morning, I want you to, I want to encourage you to, to read verse 20 carefully and then imagine that that is a prayer for you in this pursuit of a relationship, a deeper relationship with Jesus. Whether you follow Jesus for a year, six months, or 50 years, we can know Him more. Right? Wherever we are, we can know Him more. I want you to imagine that this prayer is for you and really imagine that. I want you to think about what God might do in and through you as an individual and us as a church. And I think it is for this reason Paul wanted this for us and wanted this for the Christians in Ephesus. And it is for this reason that he knelt and that he prayed. And that is why we need this prayer. I want to ask you if you would stand with me.
I'm not going to ask you to kneel, though you're certainly welcome to do that if you want. And we're going to just uh, we're going to pray and to close this. Time, we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to actually read the prayer and ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just allow us to, this morning just to hear these words as a prayer for us that we can know this God that seems unknowable, that we can grasp His love that seems out of reach. Let's pray together as we close. God, we pray that out of Your glorious riches, You will strengthen us with power through Your Spirit in our inner person. So that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray this morning that we will be rooted and established in love. And that we will have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ really is. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge that we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because that still feels like a really big prayer, God, we, we, we say in surrender to you. Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to your power that is at work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. This morning, if you have any needs that you would like to make public, we want to take some time to pray for those with you. I'll be down front. There'll be an elder in the back. As always, you're always encouraged to find somebody around you. Now, there's many needs in this place. Maybe you want to pray for this kind of relationship with someone, with God. You, know, you want to find someone to pray for this kind of relationship with God that Paul's praying about. However you need to respond to God, let's do that while we sing this next song. Jesus, let